In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. When Jesus was transfigured before Peter and James and John, what did they see? In one sense, the answer is straightforward enough, of course. They see what St. Mark narrates in the Gospel. They see Jesus' appearance changed and his clothes shining exceeding white as snow. And they see Elijah with Moses talking with Jesus. And they were overshadowed by a cloud and they heard a voice coming out of the cloud. But in these phenomena, what did they see? What did these things signify? What did they reveal? The simplest answer to this question is to say that when Jesus was transfigured before the disciples, they witnessed a theophany. That is to say that Peter, James, and John saw a visible manifestation of the invisible God shining in the face of Jesus. They see the glory of God, just as Moses had and Elijah had long before them on the mountain of God. Moses, whom the Lord hid in the cleft of the rock and covered him with his hand while he passed by, so that Moses saw God's back, as it were, and not his face. Because as the Lord had told him, you cannot see my face, For men shall not see me and live. And Elijah, who stood on the mountain of the Lord, and it's written that, Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and he talked with God. Just so, as the presence of Moses and Elijah suggests, Peter and James and John see the glory of the same Lord shining in the face of Jesus there on the mountain. And yet there is something new in this theophany. Peter and James and John are given a fuller revelation of the Lord than either Moses and Elijah received. It's the person of Jesus that makes all the difference. Because in Christ, all the fullness of God is shown. In his transfiguration, the disciples see a revelation of the God who is Trinity, to use a phrase from St. Augustine. The Father speaks from the cloud. The Son shines with uncreated light. The Holy Spirit overshadows them in the cloud. They see the most holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity. The living God, who dwells in unapproachable light, shines upon them. They see the Lord God 
that beholdest the depths and dwellest between the cherubim. The infinite looms before them. No wonder they are terrified. That is what they see, and yet they do not yet understand what they have seen. They do not yet see what they've seen, if you see what I mean. <laughs> they were sore afraid, the text says, and Peter did not know what to say. In other words, they are overwhelmed by the magnitude of what has just been revealed to them. They don't have the categories to make sense of it. They don't yet have the eyes to see the true significance of what is revealed to them in the transfiguration of Jesus. And indeed, they could not yet, because it's only in retrospect that they are able to see what they have seen. Only in light of the death and resurrection of Jesus will they begin to see. And maybe that is why, at the end of our passage, Jesus warns them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. They could not adequately express what they had seen until they saw it in the light of all that Jesus had yet to do and to suffer for them, above all in the light of that holy, unexpected, and unparalleled event of his rising from the dead. And even then, they would not have seen it were it not for the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out on them, illuminating their hearts and minds, leading them into all truths. And even then, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, it took several centuries of theological debate before the mind of the church had grown and matured enough to find a way of adequately speaking about the mystery seen in the transfiguration of Christ, of speaking about the mystery of the incarnation, of God become man, the, finite, the infinite become finite in the person of Jesus. Why was Christ transfigured before the disciples when he was? If you remember, it happens before he goes on to his passion and his death. Why is he showing his glory to the disciples then? There's a prayer from the Orthodox Church that suggests the way to think about this. The Church prays, On the mountain you were transfigured, O Christ God, and your disciples beheld your glory as far as they could see it, so that when you, they would behold you crucified, they would understand that your suffering was voluntary and would proclaim to the world that you are truly the radiance of the Father. That is to say that Christ shows his glory to his disciples before his passion so that they will learn to see his death in its proper light. Not, that is, as the tragic end of a would-be Messiah, but as the gracious action of God himself, God who is rich in mercy, God who is demonstrating his great love for us in the cross of Christ. The disciples are shown a glimpse of the divinity of Jesus so that they might later perceive the wisdom and power of Christ crucified, that they might know the breadth and length and height and depth and the love of God, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The Lord was transfigured before them so that they might later come to see that, 
as Simon Tugwell puts it, what Jesus was really doing was essentially giving himself, giving his own life, giving his own spirit. That is the gift he has to give us, himself. In the wonderful series of reflections on the icons of Christ, Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, says something quite profound. He says that belief in Jesus is seeing him as the gateway into an endless journey into God's love. Belief in Jesus is seeing him as the gateway to an endless journey into God's love. And in icons of the transfiguration, this idea is symbolized by depicting Jesus against a background of a circular or an oval shape, oftentimes colored in deep blues, sometimes with stars or other geometric figures. It is as if the Lord is standing before a sort of door that opens out onto the infinite. This depiction is the fruit of long and prayerful meditation on the meaning of the transfiguration because it shows the depth of what is revealed in his shining on the mountain. It shows Jesus as coming out of the infinite depths of the divine life. I came out from the Father, Jesus says in John's Gospel, and have come into the world. Or as Rowan Williams puts it, Jesus' human life is shot through with God's life. He is carried on the tide of God's eternal life and born toward us on that tide, bringing with him all the fullness of the Creator. No wonder the disciples are shown in the icons as sprawling helplessly, he says. They face a tidal wave. In the transfiguration of Jesus, just think about it, we see the true light shining with the uncreated light of God. The light comes from within him, making even his clothing resplendent with light. It pours out from him like water from a spring, from the infinite depths of the divine life. For with thee is the well of life, the psalmist says, and in thy light we see light. If you think about these things, it will send you trembling. And he was transfigured before them, and his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, St. Mark says, such as no fuller on earth can white them. Seeing the transfiguration of Jesus, really seeing it for what it is, requires the truth to work on us and to change us, to expand our hearts and our minds, to make them adequate to the mystery that we see in Christ. As the theologian Henri de Lubac says, it is certain that the Christian mystery is not something to be curiously contemplated like a pure object of science, but it is something that must be interiorized and lived. You could say that the glory shining in the face of Christ is an invitation or a summons a summons to adoration and to transfiguration. Look to him, 
the psalmist says, and be radiant. Come to him, and you will be enlightened. The light of Christ is meant to illuminate us, to permeate and shine out from us, as even his clothes shone on the Mount of the Transfiguration. And indeed, the early church loved to speak of our baptism as just that, as enlightenment or illumination. The gift given in baptism, says St. Gregory of Nyssa, is participation in light and dissolution of darkness. It is as if we are plunged into that great light of Christ. It is the all-surpassing gift that these five children will receive this morning. It's the gift that we all receive in our baptism. And yet this being immersed in the light of Christ is not an automatic process. It is a gift, and like any gift, we must receive it. It is something that must be interiorized and lived. Its proper end is a life of adoration. Something of what I'm trying to say and struggling to say is seen in the life of Father Robert Krauss, the saintly Canadian priest and scholar whose life and work formed a whole generation of Anglicans, including our beloved Father Patrick and Rhea Bright and Father Dale Petley and many others. Father Krauss spoke of habits of adoration. He spoke of being transformed by adoration. And it's clear that these are good phrases of his own life. My mentor, Bishop Burton, said that when Father Krauss celebrated the Eucharist, one had the sense that the entire spiritual world opened up before him. He was transformed by adoration. The entire spiritual world opened up before him. That's the kind of spiritual transformation I'm trying to point to. It's the way in which I want to respond to Christ's transfiguration, indeed, to the whole mystery of Christ. And it's to that kind of response I want to call you today, to a life of adoration and awe before Christ our God. O gracious light, your brightness of the ever-living Father in heaven, O Jesus Christ, holy and blessed, you are worthy at all times to be praised by happy voices, O Son of God, O giver of life, and to be glorified through all the worlds. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.